And then there's a whole other kind of exposure that happens when you live a life in community or you're married or you have children or very close friends who um, are going to know the versions of you that you aren't going to put in a cell. So yes, I think it is helpful to, to share these things, but but you need to be sharing that for the, the edification of someone else and not your own. Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Andrew Peterson stays busy. He's a singer-songwriter. He's the author of The Wingfeather Saga, as well as two nonfiction books, Adoring the Dark and God of the Garden. He's the executive producer of the Wingfeather television series. He's the founder and president of The Rabbit Room. He's a sought-after speaker. Also, he was my special guest at a recent Habit Writers Retreat, where he and I recorded the following conversation in front of a live audience. We covered a lot of ground. We talked about how he juggles the roles of musician, writer, and filmmaker, how those roles influence one another. We talked about sharing art out of love for the audience rather than love of self. We talked about the importance of finding or perhaps making creative community. And we talked about gardening. It's always a pleasure to talk to my friend, Andrew Peterson. I think you're going to enjoy listening in. Well, we're at the Habit uh, Summer Writers Weekend. Um, We've got a live audience. We've got Andrew Peterson here. Thank you, Andrew, for being at the Habit Summer Writers Weekend weekend thank you so much for having me this thing's amazing isn't it great yeah yeah uh so we're our theme this this weekend has been um musicality and writing what are Mm. what are the things about um the way music works that might be relevant to writing Mm. and you seem like an obvious person to talk about these things because you of course uh do songwriting you do fiction writing you do nonfiction, you do drawing tv just all kinds of art forms. So I, I'd, I'd love to, to talk about, I mean, that's kind of where I want to start. Sure. Talking about those things. Um, and I mean, maybe to start with a, with a real practical question, as you, as you go from one art form to the other, is it just sequential? Is it, I'm going to do fiction for a little while, and then I'm going to draw a picture, and then I'm going to mm-hmm. do a TV show? Or? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I used to try to spin all the plates at the same time, and it turns out not to be a very good idea for me, at least. Uh-huh. Um, uh, there's a whole lot of, well, like when I look back at when I was working on the wing feather books, um, I was, you know, I would do a record and then I would do a book and then a record mm-hmm. and a book. And, but, but it's like finishing the record doesn't mean you're done with the record. You then got to tour it and promote it and do same thing with the book is, you know, if, if the book is with a publisher, you've got to do this promotional work. You don't want to let mm-hmm. down the people who are, who are trying to help, help you. And so, uh, so there was all this overlap and mm-hmm. I just remember, uh, it, there were little pockets of time where I was able to focus on just one thing, mm-hmm. and those were my favorite bits of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it was when it was multiple things, it it felt more stressful than fun. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, so I've gotten a little pickier now. Um, uh-huh. Now that I can, I I try really hard to just do one thing. That having said that, it still happens. You know, stuff mm-hmm. deadlines come and and I get super stressed because people need stuff from me. But um, I I'll just say the best answer I know to that question is it's it's healthiest i think if you've got a couple of uh you know you're cooking a couple of meals at the same time but you've yeah. only got one on the burner at at the time at a time you know what i yeah. mean it's like there's there you got the ingredients out here and you've got your stuff but like you don't want to try to like cook 
two meals at once. You guys have probably done that. It's 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 terrifying. Yeah. You know, you're always yeah. forgetting something yeah. and you're frantic and and so as but while while you're cooking that meal, you're going to be thinking about the other stuff that you got to yeah. do and the creative work is still happening in your head. So okay, that was a metaphor, but but how well done thank you yeah. <laughs> uh, how does it uh but how does that play out literally right what what does having one thing on the burner and, and some things okay. off on the side look like yeah in literal terms well it would mean that um you know one of the things I, uh the great gifts of being a songwriter is that you you get to spend a good chunk of your year trying to understand what it is that the Lord is teaching you. And so you can, you, you spend this time with your notebook and your guitar and you're trying to kind of unearth a little bit of like what's been going on in your life, you know? And so, uh, that the kind of songs that I write, the kind of mm -hmm, records yeah. that I would make tended to be more autobiographical. This, this is what's going on right now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I can look back and see that while I was working very practically on in the studio or, um, in in like the the panic of oh man i got I, i'm gonna be in the studio in a month and i don't have enough songs i've got to like really knuckle down and try to find the songs um and i'm doing that work of unearthing what's going on um the uh i can see at this like concurrently as soon as that record is done and i get to work on the next wing feather book the themes overlap uh -huh. does that make sense yeah so like i'm working on the an album about grief and suffering <laughs> uh -huh. and then it turns out once i get into the next whatever section of the book that i'm working on I'm, I'm, my brain is going to gravitate to that stuff mm -hmm. and so i know a little bit more about how the lord works through grief and suffering than i did before that record yeah. does that make sense yeah and so that plays itself out in the, the next thing yeah no that, that was kind of my next question is is maybe not in practical terms but in terms of what you understand about how these art forms work you know what do you how does music inform fiction writing and mm -hmm. how does drawing inform fiction yeah. writing or nonfiction? Yeah. I, well, I mean, the, I remember, and I could be wrong about this. Justin Gerard is a, is an illustrator that I love. And yeah. he was talking about uh, like Renaissance men, quote unquote, you know, people uh, who studied like he, the way he put it was, he was like, there was something about being a better swordsman that made you a better painter. Yeah. And so it was like back then they, they believed that, you know, that all these disciplines end up informing the other ones. And so mm -hmm. uh, the best way I know, the best, best illustration for that is that when um, I was working on the first Wing Feather book, uh, I got out my sketchbook and I, I, so, okay, so to rewind, when I was in high school, uh, my fondest dream was to illustrate Batman comic books. Like I just, I wanted to be a Batman penciler. I wrote a letter of intention to DC comics, <laughs> which is super embarrassing. I probably had doodles of like little Batman things in the margins, you know, so dumb anyway. But I was like, I was the art guy in my little high school, you know, and I kind of played guitar on the side. Um, but then I interviewed at Savannah college of art and design. And that was when I realized that I wasn't nearly good enough at art to make a career of it or i didn't love it enough to want to do the work that it would take but i did love playing guitar so i just kind of like changed change courses at that point but i still loved to draw and but i put away my sketchbook for years yeah. years and uh and fast forward 10 15 years i'm working on the first wing feather book and i am uh, i was like oh yeah they need some illustrations i guess i should try to drawing a toothy cow so I got out my sketchbooks, dusted them off, you know, and I was like, here goes. And I was, it was a better toothy cow than anything I had drawn in high school. Huh. 
And I was like, wait, that's weird. That makes no sense that I haven't been practicing drawing, but I'm better now than I was before. And I got, I wondered why that was. And I think it was that I was old enough to know, uh, to have learned the lesson that art is work. That it's not always fun that you kind of muscle through the boring parts of it. If you want to make something good, um, that you, I had learned to see better. Uh -huh. than I, I did before because songwriting teaches you to see and you're always scanning the horizon. And um, uh, I, I think a lot of it was just patience. Mm -hmm. I wasn't chomping at the bit to finish the thing. Yeah. I had learned over the course of making several albums and working on the first drafts of the book that like art just takes time. And so I, I was willing to sit and stay up that extra two hours when I was working on that sketch in a way that I wouldn't have been in high school. Yeah. So all of these other disciplines had taught me given me the tools in the toolbox to make me better at this other thing. Yeah. Was it hard to realize that being the best artist at Lake Butler High School is not the same thing as being the best artist in the world? Yeah, <laughs> man. I mean, it was, uh, it smarted a little bit, but it was, it was exactly what I needed. Yeah. I remember the guy said, he, the guy kind of like looked at my portfolio and when he finished, he closed it and he said, none of these are finished. Why not? And I said, uh, probably cause I was playing guitar. <laughs> I think I literally said that and he was like all right well thanks for thanks for replying you know and that yeah. was kind of it I was like I guess I'm not going to do this now wow. um yeah um here's, here's the question somebody uh wrote that I, I think was I, I'd love to hear your answers your songs are very honest um you might say confessional your stories are too um do you have any encouragement for writers who are afraid to be honest in their writing or, or are afraid to write because then people will know what their heart really looks like? <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> Just kidding. No, uh, I, I would say, well, there's, a, there's a, 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 something I wrote in Adorning the Dark. Uh, I don't remember where it is, and I'm, I don't know the exact quote, but it's something about how you know, I, I learned the peril of, of asking the Lord if I could write songs that would be a comfort to people who were heartbroken and lonely, because the only way to learn to write those kinds of song, songs is to go through the, the valley of heartbreak and loneliness. Mm -hmm. And so um, you, you're going to have to experience these things in order to then have the gift to give to someone else. Um, so if that's what you want to do, if your heart's desire is to write things that are going to comfort people in those things, then buckle up because <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be super hard. You're going to, the lessons come at a cost. And so that's one thing I would say. Um, and then I guess the other thing would be that, um, you know, it's, it's, I, I've, I've begun to realize this more, the older that I've gotten that yes, I'm very, I tend to be pretty confessional, sometimes too confessional, I think in my songwriting and the books and whatever. But, uh, but I also, I'm still showing you what I want to show you. You know what I mean? Like I'm still, I, I get to make the calls here. And then there's a whole other kind of exposure that happens when you live a life in community or you're married or you have children or very close friends who, um, are going to know the versions of you that you aren't going to put in a song. Right. Yeah. So there are two, there are two different things, um, in some ways. And so, um, so yes, I think it is helpful to, to share these things, but, but you need to be sharing that for the, the edification of someone else and not your own. Mm -hmm. Um, that's the key. Um, because if you're, if you're doing, if you're, um, 
you know, you can make the audience your counselor and that's not <laughs> what you want to do. I'm, I've been guilty of that before when, you know, singing a song that I just written and I'm crying on the stage and then everybody feels uncomfortable and it's really weird. Um, Walt Wongren talked about how you need to wait, give it some time and uh, wait until that part of your story has come to a conclusion and you're talking about it in the past tense. And then you can prayerfully try to steward it for the edification of other people. Um, but you got to be careful not to do that too soon. Yeah. That's, that's really helpful. Cool. Thanks for that. Yeah. Um, you, okay. I, you surprised me a little bit when you said, when you were putting things in terms of songwriting made your um, drawing better. I thought, I thought you were going to say the other, something the other way around, that, hmm. that drawing required you to be observant in a way that impacted your writing. Same. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think it, I think it's a... Just a big circle. It's a big it. circle. Yeah. 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 Um, can, you, can you talk about... Now, you know, there's a level of, of um, uh, collaboration involved in TV making <laughs> that, that's... Yeah. I, mean, I know you have a... a you know, as a band leader, there's plenty of collaboration in your life, but this is a whole new... Whole different thing. Yeah. Level. Yeah. Mm. Um, can you talk a little bit about what it's like to have this? What these stories are? What fifteen years old? They've, yeah, they've been well, Andrew Peterson stories for is it fifteen years, right? I guess the first one came out in '08, yeah, and I started years. writing it five years before that. Yeah. So, so yeah. it's been you. It's been your thing, mm -hmm. and now it's not just your thing, right? Um, can you tell me about that? Yeah, it's it's a, an incredible joy. Yeah, it just has like somebody was asking me this morning actually about you know are there things in the books that uh, I like better than, uh, sorry, things in the TV show that I like better than the books. And the answer is yes. Yeah. Like we, we refined the story in a way that I was like, gosh, I wish I'd thought of that uh -huh. uh, when I was working on these books, you know, and I, especially the first book, the first books, you know, you can, I can feel myself figuring out how to tell a story um, mm -hmm. in that book. And, and you figured out and the rest of the series rides a little smoother, I think, but the, but yeah, there for sure. Uh, there are times when, um, I have to put my foot down. Like I get some veto power as, as one of the executive produ producers, which is a pretty hoity toity word for just meaning I get to be in the room for mm -hmm. these decisions. And so, uh, and you know, I, I, I have a little bit of power, you know, yeah. and, but I also don't want to nag anybody. And I've learned well enough to, to that, that all these ideas are good ideas, you know? And like, if you're hiring people at the top of their game to come in and help your story be better, good grief, listen to them. Yeah. And, uh, and so that, so I've been doing that, but then there, I save up my points, you know, mm -hmm. for a moment when I'm like, that can't happen. You know, yeah. this is not how she was, should say this. Mm -hmm. And there have been a few times where, you know, what, there's a price tag that's attached to all of those decisions. So like if the animators have cr for, created a scene and they've got it edited and they've got it in the thing. And then I hear the, I see the final thing and there's something about the way an actor delivers a line that is just bugging me and it's not right. I know that that's going to mean there's a dollar sign attached to them going back and changing all of that. Right. So you so have, have to, to pay them both times. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you, you pay them financially, but you also pay them in like, you only get so many of those before sure. people start to not like working for you. Mm -hmm. And so now with season two, I've learned a lot about like speak up early. Like yeah. I, there, there's a lot of the, the process that I'm new to. And so I, I didn't realize that, there was a dollar sign attached to some yeah. of these decisions. And so now I'm like, yes, let's get it in the animatic or let's get it like change the way they said, like, you know, when they record the vocals for something, uh, they, 
they'll do several takes. And so I go, I, I, they're letting me go through and listen to them all before it's animated and say, Hey, this one isn't right. Can you find an alt alt? And they'll, mm -hmm. they'll dig up another line. And so that the animators are then working to that vocal performance, uh, which is the way they want to work. You know, the vocal performance tells them where their hand gestures are going to be and how, what their posture is going to be like. And so if you change a line, to yeah. another performance and suddenly it doesn't jive with the way the animation looks it is a complicated process yeah like uh, we watched last night we were at this uh conv homeschool convention and and i was in the room and we showed them episode one and uh and i was just sitting there thinking the whole time these people have no idea how much work this was mm -hmm. there's no way you can know how much work it is to put something like not not for me for the team right like i like i worked hard but like i'm thinking about the the countless hours we had 90 some odd people uh, on at, at the peak of our of the production, that's how many people were working on the show, um, and ninety families with you know health insurance and whatever, and like these people are working full time at the top of their game, and there's a lot happening, and for Chris Wall to ha to shepherd that whole thing to a twenty two minute episode that you can kind of watch while you're eating popcorn, <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. So it changes the way that I watch all movies. It's like give thanks anytime a movie is not terrible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I've seen some some movies that I had every reason to think they were going to be really good. Yeah, because I knew the people; they're smart people. Yep, and you can see now how how the wheels can come off. Yeah, just a few things that happen, and money's involved, and too many cooks in the kitchen, and then this beautiful thing can just kind of fall apart. Yeah, and so whenever it, it works, it's just a, it's miraculous almost. Yeah. You know. What's an executive producer? <laughs> uh, the, I think Chris Wall um, described it. How do I put it? Like they're, they're kind of like the, mm, I'm not a sports guy. First, first thing that popped in my head was like, you're like the coach, uh -huh. you know, like they're, they're doing stuff, but somebody has got to be there to, okay, here's a, here's a, a possible good answer. I heard, I saw Martin Scorsese on David Letterman a long time ago. And David was like, what does a director do anyway? And Martin Scorsese said, you know, I, I just make about 10,000 little decisions every day. Yeah. And, and like somebody's got to be the person that everybody kind of looks to and is like green or red. Yeah. And somebody goes green, mm -hmm. you know? And so the executive producer, like I'm not in that kind of decision-making chair, but there's a version of that where yeah. like we're, somebody's got to decide which vocal performance is the one or like which is the script that is, when is the script finished? And so I get to be one of the few people that say, yeah, all right, this is it. Let's go forward. Yeah. I thought about you the other day. I was watching a movie in which there were two people working in a weed store uh -huh. and one was a writer and he'd never finished a script. You never finished a script. Uh -huh. And the other one was said she was an executive producer, <laughs> <laughs> but she worked in this store. <laughs> she had never executive produced anything. But yeah, the other guy had never finished anything. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. But you actually have executive produce something, so yeah. good job. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I'm not saying I want to do it again. Uh, like this, like this isn't your I, new. Yeah, career. no. Like yeah. this, I, I care about this deeply because I care about wanting to give the Wing Feather shot the best Wing Feather saga the best shot to be good. You know, yeah. for for a long time. And so, but after this is over, I'm going to be like, oh man, yeah. I, I, like you have to care so much about the little details. Mm -hmm. So I admire so much the guys that are men and women who are like hired guns who come in to work on a thing and they've got to really care about these details, but it's not their baby. Mm -hmm. That's amazing to me. You know, it's so professional and, 
admirable yeah. that they can they can pour themselves into this work like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I'm gonna change the subject just a little bit. Yeah. Um, one thing we were talking about earlier today um, was the idea that in in music there's a combination or in a song there's a combination of words with lexical content and then there's everything else mm. you know the rhythms and the just everything else that goes into uh, that I don't even really have the language to talk about mm-hmm. very well um, and in prose or, or in well, let's just say prose um, there's also the lexical meanings of the words and all the other stuff and the the combinations are different right mm-hmm. I mean I think the in a song maybe the percentage occupied by the lexical meaning is maybe you know a, a smaller percentage of the whole sure um but if that if that distinction makes sense to you and if it doesn't we can do something else but can you talk about what, what you've what you've learned as a as a writer of prose both fiction and nonfiction, hmm. about those other things you know whether it's rhythm or mm-hmm. or or even even emotional beats or, or whatever yeah. that um, yeah, the, not I'm, I'm not sure it's going to be a terribly interesting answer, but I I will say I do care. My favorite writers are the ones that you can read out loud, and there's a there's a musicality to their mm-hmm. what they do. Annie Dillard is one of those. Like I like how she you know bounces back and forth between these big grandiose sentences and these little quick punchy ones. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the, uh, so there's that that feels like there's a a surprising element to it. Mm-hmm. Like she's playing with it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Beekner is that way. I think Beekner has these just amazing long sentences without commas. Somehow he get, gets away with not using commas very much, mm-hmm. but you know what he means and you're delighting in the shape of the thing as much as you are in what it is that he says. Yeah. Sometimes more than others, but man, when the two come together, that's when something really special happens. When like the meaning of the thing and the, the feeling of it rolling off your tongue, um, harmonize mm-hmm. if there's something really special uh yeah and uh, the only yeah i would just say that when you're writing a song obviously it's all out loud you know <laughs> like it's all music and and you you mutter the lyric again and again and again to try to find the the, the right bounce you know and the ideally um people always ask which comes first the lyrics or the music and the the answer is it's always different you know, but the, when it's the best, it's when it happens at the same time, when it like both of them come out of your mouth, you can say a phrase that has this inherent rhythm to it that also comes out with a melody that you can kind of sing and you can build a whole song on that. You know what I mean? You get that and it's special and you can be like, oh, well, there's the thing. And then the second verse, you're trying to like mimic this magic that happened in the first verse, you know, <laughs> and then the third verse, you, you, you play against it a little bit. There were one of my favorite things that Ben said. I loved the episode where you interv- interviewed Ben, yeah. but one of the principles where like the, the listener ben wants Shive. Ben Shive. Yes. Go listen to it if you haven't. It's so good. Uh, but Ben has just got this amazing mind uh, yeah. ability to to convey things yeah. in a colorful way that you, you're like, oh, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, but he was just talking about how the audience, the listener wants to be right 75% of the time, right? <laughs> yeah. Like if, yeah. if, if the song is all over the place, you're just kind of lost, you know? So you want some kind of pattern, but then you, you want the pattern to surprise you by verse, yeah. the end of verse two. You want, that's what a bridge is kind of for. A bridge uh-huh. veers you off the path and, and, reor- and disorients you a little bit so that when you come back to the path, you've got some fresh information. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so thinking of songwriting that way, where there's this, um, you're constantly thinking about how does this sound? 
How does this feel when I say it out loud? Right. Uh, meant that before I, I mean, after I remember with the first wing feather book, you had sent me back, I had sent it to you to read. You gave yeah. me this very generous edit of it way back then. And then I sat up, I was so scared to send it to my editor. Uh, because I was just like, I'm not, a, I don't know how to do this when I'm, I just wanted to make it as good as I could before she tore it to pieces. And I read the whole thing out loud to myself in a British accent <laughs> <laughs> up in my office. I really did. I chapter, it took me a you know, week or two probably, but I read the, and that was when I was like, oh, the sentence is terrible, you know, and you'd fix yeah. the sentence. You well, I wanted it to be a good read aloud book. Um, and so I was very conscious of trying to make it so that that's when you know if the sentences are working so is when you hear it out loud that's when you hear the musicality of it so i highly recommend that like um i, I hadn't read this little story out loud until i shouldn't bring that up should i anyway uh the uh yeah does that help i don't know if that yeah, gets to no, no. your question yeah, I'm, okay now i'm putting you on the spot but is can you remember a a song that that maybe these folks would know that started out with one of those perfect phrases yeah. <laughs> um where the music and the and the words mm -hmm. came simultaneously. Uh, it's just kind of an embarrassing answer, but "Is He Worthy" was one of those songs. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was. I have the voice memo. Really? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I think I'm in an airport and and I'm going. We do. <laughs> it's just kind of embarrassing, but I could I could imagine that that it was the we do that was yeah it was the answer. You didn't have the words. I might have had. To, to do you question. feel the world is broken? We do. I might have had that first one, and uh, but it was like this very clear question answer thing. But also the the da da dun da dun da dun da all the ver all the verses follow that that same rhythm. Yeah. Um. And and it that first line that's exactly what you how you would say it yeah like uh, phrasing is such a an important part of songwriting and i feel like it's one of the things that gets overlooked in a lot of modern christian worship songs um that the yeah one of the, my proudest things is that sky is just like you know um brutal when it comes to phrasing like she just cares about it so much huh. she, she'll she work so hard on phrasing and i'm like that's my girl <laughs> uh but yeah like the way you say the word you don't want like a, a quick example of of a time when fernando ortega taught me this lesson was i had in the song gather around ye children come um from behold the lamb of god it was the first song in behold the lamb and uh the um the way that I was trying to keep it as close as I could to uh, Philippians 2, which is the passage of Scripture that that one kind of dances around. And um, I had sung, um, uh, uh, I'm going to forget, the. I can never do this on the spot. Christ Jesus reigns with the angels. Um, because that was what it said in the version of the Bible that I was basing it on. Christ Jesus reigns whatever it doesn't say reigns with the angels i took i took some liberty with that but he i sent it to him or i played it for him it was like you you want the word the name jesus to be the thing that you're saying not christ jesus reigns with the because you're having to mumble the word jesus because huh. you're saying christ as loudly christ jesus reigns with so he's like so now i changed it to jesus he reigns with the angels and i love singing that a whole lot more right yeah. So, so like thinking about the phrasing, like you can play, there are all these little tricks, like you add he in there to give you the rhythm. Jesus, he reigns with the angels. It wouldn't have been as good if it had been Jesus reigns with the angels. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Um, and that's something that I learned from James Taylor and Paul Simon and 
Uh, I mean, the song Copper Line by James Taylor is just like a masterful picture of playing with the language to get the rhythm to bounce, you know? Uh, Copperhead, Copper Beach, Copper Kettle sitting side by each. (laughs) He says Copper Kettle sitting side by each instead of by each side. Not only does it rhyme, but it feels better. And it's surprising. It's like, wait, why would you say side by each? Because he's James Taylor, dadgummit. <laughs> so yeah, so you the, like learning to play with the words. You know, there was a playfulness in a lot of James Taylor's songwriting that I loved, um, internal rhymes and that kind of stuff. So uh, anyway, yeah, that can be distracting in prose. I, I will say that last thing I would say, and you guys may know what I'm talking about. When I would go sit at the coffee shop down the road and work on, I had a two thousand word a day uh, goal. I wouldn't let myself eat lunch until I'd written 2000 words. And so sometimes it'd be two o'clock and I was starving and I was just like, just write anything, you know? <laughs> and, and, uh, there were days when I would close my computer and I'd come home and I'd feel really good about what I'd written that day. And cause I was just like, you know, I was like, Oh, I'm such a writer, you know, like with sentences. So the first thing I would do the next morning is reread what I did yesterday. And that would kind of get the ball rolling and I'd write my next 2000 words. And, uh, Every single time, without fail, the days when I felt like I was really a writer, I would come back the next morning and it would be really bad because it was florid or it was it sounded like I was trying too hard. But then the days when I was just punching in a clock and saying, this thing happened and then this next thing happened. And then the guy said this and then she said this. And I was just telling the story in about as plain a way as I could tell it because I wasn't inspired. Uh, I would come back the next day and I would think, this reads like an actual book. Because mm-hmm. when, when, uh, when the marker is how I feel about what I just did, mm-hmm. that's a... Yeah, yeah you're, that's, you're that's, in trouble. That's a red flag. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's your red flag. Yeah. <laughs> if you're feeling super pleased with yourself. Like I remember David Wilcox, the songwriter, who's like, I think of him as the Yoda master of songwriting. Yeah. He's he kind of hermetic. Hermetic? I don't know if that's right. Hermit-like, lives yeah. off in the... He doesn't really live in a swamp, but I imagine that he lives in a swamp. <laughs> but he said, he talked about, one, one time I was listening to him talk about songwriting, he talked a lot about how when he was young, he used to try to be clever. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's wrong with being clever? Like, you know, clever, being clever is part of the fun of songwriting. You know, he's surprising people to whatever. Um, and now that I'm older, I completely see what he means. Like, you're, you're showing off. Yeah. And I have old songs where I'm showing off, yeah. and I don't like singing them. Yeah. The world is sufficiently surprising that if you just tell what you've seen, yes, originality sort of takes care of itself, and cleverness yep. takes care of itself. Yeah. I mean, you grew up in Florida, you know this. Yeah, <laughs> I do know this. <laughs> well, it's like, and if you're t- if you're talking about the gospel, the gospel doesn't need our help. Yeah. You know, it doesn't need us to make it more beautiful. Um, you see, even C.S. Lewis with the Narnia books, like he didn't make the gospel more beautiful. He he reframed some things to surprise us with the actual beauty of the actual gospel. You know. Um, so you just got to tell it, tell about it, um, mm. one sentence after another, and, and don't try to be clever. Yeah, right. Can we talk about um, community, rootedness? I mean, you, you have a, a long history of sort of creating spaces where people can flourish, mm. um, relationships, and, um, and of course, you know, the habit, that's something we're super interested in, in, mm. in doing. Um, and I, I had, you know, one person write in a question specifically asking about um, finding or creating um, community, especially creative community. This person was asking about, you know, if you move around a lot, but I think we can also say if you live in a place where you feel like it's hard to 
find mm-hmm. that kind of community. I mean, and we don't have to limit this to creative community, but sure. Um, what is the question? The, <laughs> I'm teeing you up to talk for for you to say. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I, I've often heard you say. I think I've heard you somebody say <laughs> in Rabbit Room World that um, it's sometimes it's not a matter of finding community. Sometimes you just have to make it to be be the. Mm. Yeah, I don't think I've ever said that, but I, I I don't disagree with it. Um, the yeah, it, it's it's really tricky. Um, I remember the very first touch moot. We we you know we had a panel where we were talking about community, and somebody raised their hands and said, "Well, good for you. You live in Nashville. Like, there's you know everywhere you go, there's somebody with a CD in their trunk." Um, uh, and so they kind of stumped us. I remember kind of mm-hmm. thinking, "Oh, we're going to have to do some thinking about." what is the answer to this? Cause you can't just come to Hutchmoot every year. And like, that's not, that's a, that's a bandaid. So, uh, the best answer that I have come up with is especially regarding creative community, um, is that, uh, you should start a project that is more than you can do by yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, the, like bite off more than you can chew and you'll have to find people to help you put it on the calendar, reserve the venue and, or, or whatever, announce the release date, the, the thing and force yourself to, to do something that is more than you can do. And, and I, I guarantee you that by the time you get to the thing, the big project, the debut of the thing that you're trying to work on, you'll look up and you'll realize that you've got a whole bunch of people around you that you didn't know before. Hmm. I think that's the, the, the way it works. And that's how it's been with, almost all of the friends that I have. Mm. Um, it has been people that got roped into some crazy idea or whatever. And a lot of that is just me kind of being lonely Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and wanting to do stuff with people. Um, a lot of that too is my sweet wife who's in the room right now, who is, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the responsible for, uh, the most of the gracious, beautiful things that I experienced in my life. Um, she, she's the one who often uh, will make the call and track Mm -hmm. down the people and say, Hey, we're having so-and-so over for dinner on Thursday night. I would have gone two months before I made that phone call, but she makes the phone call and I find myself sitting at a table with these friends and it wouldn't have happened unless somebody had roped me into their dream. Right. And so I think, um, I think that's the best answer that I know. Yeah. Um, All right. Last question, um, or last constellation of questions. Um, <laughs> I like your hand motion. Yeah, you like, like that? Const- that's, that's you're like a super villain. Twinkly. Those, those yeah, were twinkling yeah. stars. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, um, uh. In God of the Garden, yeah, God of the Garden, you talk about um, the importance of getting your hands dirty. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you say you know, that, that gardening is at the core of what we were made to do and to be. Um, Tell me about that. Like, yeah. Um, well, I am. I'm a. I'm very much an amateur gardener. I'm not a real gardener, but I do like. I like to be outside. I'm. I'm almost always outside. Uh, every morning, I wake up and I go on a walk, mm-hmm. um, and I can't stand it if I'm. If I can't uh, go do this thing and, and and interact with the given world. Just yesterday, I was talking to a young man, who asked me what I thought of Christian video games, mm-hmm. um, and. Mm-hmm. And it was a good question, I, you know, and we, 
there's a whole lot of creativity that happens with video game making and i have people who are friends who are gamers who tell me that like oh you don't understand it's like the an amazing way to tell a story it's like the new amazing way to tell a story and i've talked to people who've cried while playing fill in the blank i just don't get it um i'm but i'm also not gonna say that it's all bad i don't know how to i can't i'm not an expert but i did tell the guy if you are the kind of person who uh, is going to have a tendency to stay inside and play a lot of video games. You need to put some practice in your life that gets you away from them too. Mm-hmm. Like find a way to balance out your life so that you are, cause the, the lure of the video game is to, is to take you out of the given world and into an imaginary one. And, um, and you've got to fight back at that really hard. And I'm very wary of, uh, you know, like the, the wing feather thing, like there are game companies that want to want to make video games out of wing. We've done like a Roblox game and we had a meeting where I kind of told the person, I was like, I don't want to ever make a game that isolates anyone. Like if we're going to make a game, make it so that you have to play it with somebody else, make it so that it's an experience the dad can have with his son or his daughter or whatever. Um, and so uh, the point is there are a whole lot of things clamoring to take us out of the given world. And you're so good about delighting in the world the Lord has made. I've learned a lot of that from you. Um, but it's not going to happen accidentally. There, there are a whole lot of, uh, the technology is just encroaching all the time. So you have, you just have to put practices in your life that are going to break the spell on a regular basis. Um, and so for me, that has been taking care of the land and, and Mm -hmm. gardening and Mm -hmm. getting my hands dirty, chainsawing stuff up and making trails, whatever. And, um, and now that I have a granddaughter, I'm mm-hmm. uh, almost everything we do on the property is with grandchildren in mind. <laughs> like we want to pr- create a world that will delight them yeah. and uh, not, we're not going to create that world. Obviously right. it's going to do its own work, but we want to make it as easy as possible. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. one of my, like, sorry, I'm going off, but I, there's a, a, a writing principle that like that fits this conversation. Like if there are, you know, the Stephen Pressfield thing where he talks about the resistance. Um, like there's this resistance that wants you to not make stuff. Uh, so make remove as many obstacles as you can to the making of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, like don't make it so that you've got to go super far to, to work on the thing you want to work on. So the, the analogy in my mind is we had this big white oak tree the year we moved into our house, huge, beautiful grandfather, white oak tree fell and just reached the end of its life. And uh, it was so sad. So I'm a cheapskate, so I thought rather than call a tree company, I'm gonna buy a chainsaw and a, and an, uh, a maul and a sledgehammer and I'm gonna take this tree apart. You know, it's gonna spend $500 instead of $4,000 or whatever. And so I spent the summer taking apart this tree, cutting it up. And there were days when it would be 90 degrees, 95 degrees, and I would look out the window and be like, man, I gotta go all the way to the shed and get the chainsaw and I gotta find them, whatever. <laughs> so I went to, to Walmart and I bought a big tub that would fit my chainsaw and the gas can and I put it next to the tree uh-huh. so that when I went on my morning walk, I could decide on a whim to spend five minutes hacking away at this big tree. Does that make sense? That's good. So like to try to like love it. put things in your life that are going to make it as easy as possible for you to engage with the given world, to do the work that you don't really feel like doing. Yeah, um, that's great. Remove those obstacles. Mm. So Thank you for using the word given world, the phrase given world. Mm. I think I, I got it. that from you. Okay. I'll, I'll, blame, I'll blame you for it. <laughs> but it is. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Uh, but no, yeah. I just, it, it's, there's so, it is like this bottomless 
source of delight and yeah. wisdom and you know that one I, I say this all the time forgive me for repeating it but the the idea that that you know that the the lord the ancient christians used to say the lord has given us two books of revelation the book of scripture and the book of nature um, so if you want to know what the lord is like read your bible and pay close attention to the world that he's made um, because he's always speaking through it the earth is the lord's and the fullness thereof yeah. And and so why would we not pay attention? Yeah, thank you. I, you you've given me lots of reasons to pay attention through the years, and I thank you. really appreciate it. Same. So uh, thanks. Uh, this has been great having you. Thank you. Um, I'm going to open up to some questions. If sure. that's all right. Yeah. So you talked about being playful with your phrasing or in writing, um, and also about not trying to be clever, and about you know making things fit the rhythm or rhyme but not making it feel forced and that feels like a really tricky thing to balance so i'm just curious what you would say to that yeah that's why songwriting is not for the faint of heart <laughs> if it was easy everybody would do it no uh i don't yeah there's the balance the, and i think that the the answer to that is uh figuring like doing the the work of um studying the great ones, figuring out how they do it, did it. Uh, like, I don't know how it works with prose, but with songwriting, it's like when I was younger, I, if I was stuck and I couldn't think of anything to write about, I would go, well, I'm going to write a Rich Mullins song today, or I'm going to write a Bruce Springsteen song today, or I'm going to write a James Taylor song. Mm. And I would listen to what they were doing and I would try to like just steal like the way they were doing it and like chord progressions, whatever, you know, and I finished the song and it's very different from what they would have done, but it got me into it. But, but by studying the really great ones and figuring out who lights you up and what makes it, what, what are you noticing about what they're doing? It gives you this internal... Uh, kind of platonic form of song to hold your work up against and so it, it you learn some discernment that way so you can you learn to tell oh this is just going to be an annoying to it a listener or this is going to delight a listener because whatever does that make sense and and for me it, a lot of that has been co-writing and working with writers who are better than me like Ben Shive and Andy Gullihorn and people like that who uh, you know when you're first when the people that you're playing your first version of the song for are heroes <laughs> people who are really good then then you listen you know they they help uh they call you on your blind spots does that make sense so it is it is tricky for sure and you probably here's the other thing and we've talked about this is that you don't let that worry that you might be being too clever or too playful in this moment stop you from just trying to do it like just go do it a lot and and you'll look back i guarantee you in 10 years and cringe at whatever you're writing right now and it's okay you have to write that stuff you have to you have to do it so um yeah it's it's you, you can only learn that stuff by doing a lot of it yeah yeah only way to the good stuff is through the bad stuff yes yeah. maybe one or two more questions anybody else you just were talking about how to try to take the obstacles and like work those out. It's great we have something to do with the tree now, but maybe like in terms of writing or songwriting, what are a couple of the biggest obstacles you face and how have you tried to negotiate those? It's as simple as putting the guitar on a stand and not keeping it in the case. So like I like whenever uh, I'm in songwriting mode, which has been a few years since I've like in earnest worked on a record. I go through this ritual of taking the guitars 
out of the case, putting one in DadGad, which is the tuning I usually use, and then standard tuning, and I put them so that they're staring at me like gargoyles from the other side of the room. <laughs> um, well, you know, one, one practical thing that I, I, I think is that if you have a piano in your house, um, never close the lid on the piano. Like, it's, uh, especially if you have kids, because the kids are gonna walk by. I heard it happen so many times, the kids would walk by and go, bing, bonk, 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 bonk. And then you'd hear them stop and come back to the piano and go, bonk, 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 bink. And then they're standing there for five minutes goofing around on the piano. So the same kind of things, thing happens. And then the other practical thing is uh, this app called Self Control, which uh, I could not have written the books without it. Uh, it's a free app. Um, you, you, it's really tiny little app that you turn on and you tell it Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever the websites are that are the distractions for you. And you set a timer for anywhere from 15 minutes to four, six hours or whatever. And uh, when you turn it on, you cannot go to those websites, even if you restart your computer. Like mm -hmm. that, that it locks you out of the distractions. And so but you, can, you, you get your phone out though. That's the other thing It's like, yeah. <laughs> but then Jamie has the passcode to my phone. So with Instagram, I have a limit on how long I can look at Instagram in a day. So once that's gone, I can't get to Instagram. So the, I just put things in place in my life that protect me from myself. Yeah. Um, so the funny thing about self-control is that you, <laughs> uh, I, I blocked all those social media stuff and I would turn it on and then I'd be like, I wonder, I wonder how hot it is outside today. <laughs> like anything, like your brain is just scanning the horizon for yeah. a distraction. And I was like, it, it, everything in me needed to know exactly what degree it was outside. <laughs> So I would go to the thing and be like, oh, it's, it's 89. I guess I got to write my book now, you know. What, what, uh, so, so I added the weather, whatever, to my, so news apps, all the things. So there's this growing list of, of yeah. websites that I don't want to go to. So, yeah. yeah. Maybe one or two more questions. Anybody else? You talked about this in Adorning the Dark, but I wonder if you could speak into the tension between using your art as a means to belong and using your art as a means to extend belonging to others. It sets a table for other people. Um, and so the more you can see what you, your art as a way to love people, the better off you'll be. Um, the caveat to that is you can't wait until you, those motives are pure before you start doing stuff. Like, um, can I tell you one little story about, uh, uh, that will illustrate what I mean? Um, and maybe we can close with this. Yeah. There's a guy named Brown Bannister who is, um, teaches music and production at Lipscomb in Nashville. And he, he produced Amy Grant's records and just is a legend in Nashville. It's wonderful human being, gentle soul. And, um, and when we were, we were um, packing up Aiden mm -hmm. to move him to college, uh, years ago, he's now a dad, but so I don't know what the timeline was like, but I was just overwhelmed with regret. Like we were, we were, we had had like a prayer time for him. Our friends came over. We all prayed over him and I wrote a song for him. We read letters to all the family, you know, read letters to him to just kind of send him off on his great adventure. And I was a mess. Couldn't stop crying. Cause all I could think about was this amazing human being who's grown up in my house is leaving now. And I don't think it, it all happened so fast. And every night I was watching Netflix, I could have been hanging out with him. You know, every, all the little, every show that I had that took me away, how many plays did I miss? How many, I was just, my brain was kicking around with all of these terrible regrets. And, um, 
And so uh, Aiden, of course, who's very kind, he was just like, pops, you know, you're being hard on yourself. Like, you're, you're a good dad. It's okay. And Jamie was saying, Andrew, you're a good dad. You don't need to stop beating yourself up. I was like, no, it's fine. I know, but I'm just so sad. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it was okay. But then the next morning, you know, we're packing up his car and taking him to Lipscomb, which is only 20 minutes away from here. <laughs> it's pathetic, right? And so we're, and we're bumping into all of these parents who've driven in from California and they're crying. They're like, it's so hard. I was like, I know it's so hard. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, all that to say, I just kept feeling this, you know, I would talk to people and the answer that I kept getting was, oh, you're a good dad. Don't, don't beat yourself up. And it never helped. It didn't make me feel any better. And then I bumped into Brown Bannister and he was like, oh, how's it going? And I was like, oh man, it's so bad. I've just, I'm so plagued with regrets and so much uh, shame or whatever. And he laughed and he <laughs> said, oh man. He was like, I remember feeling that. It has been so fun to see all the ways the Lord has redeemed my mistakes over the years. And, and he didn't let me off the hook. He didn't say, oh, you're a perfect dad. He said, well, of course you're not a perfect dad. Like, why are you so shocked that you're not a perfect dad? <laughs> You're, you shouldn't be shocked. None of us should be shocked when we realize we're not great people, right? Mm -hmm. the, the good news is, the gospel is that the Lord redeems. He's always working to redeem that in us. And so when it comes to your writing, you could be plagued by like this, am I doing this to belong? Am I doing this for self-actualization? Like, you know, all the things. Or you can just write and trust that one day you're going to laugh like Brown Bannister and say, oh man, it's been so fun to see the ways the Lord has redeemed my my bad motives, all the, all the wrong reasons I wanted to write my book, all the whatever, and he has made good of it. That's our only hope, right? Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I would yeah. say. Andrew Peterson, thanks so much yeah. for being here tonight. Thank you. Good to talk to you. This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.